messed up somehow, but we'll go ahead and jump into the sermon. Is that good? Yeah. All right, good stuff. Hey, well, um, what was that? Half- I just, somebody just said, woo. What was that? So I sounded half-hearted. <laughs> I took offense to that. All right. Hey, so we're wrapping up the sermon series called What Is This All About? This is a sermon series where we get a chance to, um, we've just been walking through the core values that we have. We've got about a dozen core values um, that we say, hey, we want these to be the things that, um, that identify us, that we're characterized by, that we're known by. And so these are new for us. We've been walking through them over the past um, two months, and we're finishing up tonight with the last two. But these values help us. They're important to have values, whether it's an organization or your, your own personal life or in a family. It's important to have a set of values because what values do is they set boundaries for you. To help you be able to stay focused on what you're doing. If you do not have values in a moment, either emotion can drive what you're doing or opinion can drive what you're doing or feelings or any of those things. And if you rely on that too long, even if you rely on your ability to rationalize or understand something from your perspective, if you're kind of just going through the moment and you're just kind of doing and you don't have anything that keeps you on track with where you want to go, you're going to end up somewhere you don't want to be. So it's important to have values, and your values can change sometimes. Your values can be something that are refined or sharpened, but you need to have something that helps you to navigate life, but also, too, that keeps you in check during the process of doing life. So these values for us are the things that we want to identify us and help us and help us to make decisions, to help us not just do what we want to, but to say, no, is that the right thing for us to do? It helps us to say no to some things, and it challenges us to say yes to some things when in our nature it might be easier to say yes when we shouldn't and to say no when we should say yes, right? Does that make sense? So that's what values do. It's Terrence's favorite phrase right there. <laughs> All right. So we've gone through, and... Um, I was getting ready to make fun of your laugh, but I have a way worse laugh, so I can't make fun of yours. All right. (laughs) All right. So, hey, so here's what we talked about so far. Um, And uh, there are notes in the back if you'd like to get those. Maybe if you don't have one, Monica, you can run around and hand those out if you'd like to do that. Not birthday Monica, but other Monica. And so uh, she can hand those out if you'd like some notes. Raise your hand and she'll get them to you. Um, But we've covered so far... Be an enthusiastic encourager. This is something that we want to be known for, that we should do in our lives, that we should be known for as a church, that we are enthusiastic encouragers. What does that mean? It tells us in Scripture that we should encourage each other in the gifts that we have so that we can show what Christ has done in our lives. We should be enthusiastic that God knows us, that God's working in our lives, and we're telling people of who God is and what he's done so that they are encouraged to live the life that God's called them to live. We should be passionate about it. We should be proactive about it. We should be enthusiastic and we should encourage people in the things that God's doing and just encourage people in general life. The church is really good sometimes at tearing people down and we want to be a church that's really good at building people up. That's what we're called to do, and that's what we want to do. So in that, we've got some things that help us do that. So we would be an enthusiastic encourager. One of the ways that we do that is by fighting for clarity. It's important to fight for clarity. Too often times in life, we look at things and we perceive something to be true, 
and we don't investigate to find out if it really is true. And so what happens is, is opinion becomes king in our hearts, perception becomes king. And so then we can start thinking a certain way of people or start thinking a certain way of situations. And all of a sudden, a wedge gets driven between the relationship that God has provided for us to grow and to be encouraged in. And so instead of walking into a moment where it might be difficult and tough to have a conversation, we avoid that conversation because it's easier. So what we're saying is, is we've got to fight for clarity. In moments when you're unsure, you've got to step into those moments, and we've got to step into those moments to fight for clarity, to understand what's going on. Why do you feel the way that you feel? What is it that you don't understand? How can you help us? How can we help you, right? To fight for clarity because we want to make sure that we're known for unity. We want to be known as enthusiastic encouragers. And if we aren't willing to talk and if we aren't willing to understand what we're really thinking and really feeling and do life together, then we'll never be able to encourage each other or encourage others to come to know Christ. So we have to fight for clarity. And as we fight for clarity, we do it because we believe in people. We believe in people. One of the things we talked about is we believe in people when they least expect it and they least deserve it. That we believe in people. We believe in people. Why? Because when we are at our worst, Christ came and gave himself for us. We believe in people. Even people that don't believe in themselves. People especially that don't believe in themselves. That we should believe in them. That we should point out the greatness within them. That Christ wants to reveal. That Christ wants to explode into their life so that they can live a life of meaning and purpose. So that we as a church can be encouraged so that we can be built up so that we can see the things that God's doing so we have to believe in people and we do that in a lot of different ways but we understand the uniqueness of who we are and the uniqueness of God's how he's created us in a lot of different ways and so in that we have to embrace and celebrate diversity so we say this diversity invites opportunity One of the things I keep saying throughout whenever I talk about this, if your circle is one color and one experience, you need to change it. Right? If your circle is a bunch of people that looks like you, talks like you, and has got the same experience as you, it's the same age as you, it's the same gender as you, you got to change it. you got to mess it up. you got to invite people that are different than you into your circles because it's going to lead you astray if you stay in the same circle. Expand your circle and invite people in because when you celebrate diversity, when you believe in people, you believe that God has called them to be in your life. They challenge you. They cause friction. They cause difficulty sometimes in your life because, come on, people are difficult, right? But you push through. You fight for the clarity. Guess what? You encourage them. They encourage you. You are built up. You're strengthened. You become, as, as Timothy talks about, we become mature in Christ. We become strengthened in who we are supposed to be in Christ. So diversity invites opportunity. We've got to step into that and allow that to be a truth in our life. And if we do, then we can have an expectation that God's going to show up. So we talk about expectation shapes reality. Expectation shapes reality. You can expect something negative to happen, and guess what? You're going to find it every single time. Right? If you expect something awesome to happen and you expect good things to happen, it might not show up right away. But I'm telling you, you keep trusting, you keep believing, you keep holding out just as we talked about and read tonight that God is good, that his promises are true. And because his promises are true, he's worthy of worship and praise. When you live that way, you will see God's goodness come out. You will see God's best come out in your life and you will find what you're looking for. Right? That's good stuff. Participation leads to transformation. 
you got to get involved. Too often times we want to see God do something in our lives while we're sitting in a chair waiting for it to happen. God's called us to be a part of the things that he's doing. You see something in your character that needs to change? Find a place to serve that challenges that, that pushes against it, that sharpens you in that area, and you will see your life begin to transform. You see a place in your life where you're apathetic that you know that God's calling you not to be, then you give yourself to that even though you don't want to. And it will be a place where you are transformed, where God makes you new. You've got to participate. If you don't know who God is, but you're at church and you're like, I, for some reason I'm here and I'm curious about who this God is and, and if he's real and if he's not, just start doing something. Find a place to give yourself that is beyond yourself and above yourself for the benefit of somebody else, hoping to see if God shows up. You leave that, you lead that type of life, I'm telling you, God will show up and he will make you new. You're like, I don't know if that's what I'm looking for. I'm telling you, that's what you're looking for because that's where Jesus is at and he's everything. And if all of this is true and if we're living for Jesus and we're living our lives to his glory, then we should do everything we can to do it to the best of our ability. So we talked about excellence determines value. Excellence determines value. We're not in this saying you got to be perfect, right? Because you are not perfect people. I am not perfect people, Right? We are messed up people. We're, in fact, jacked up people. And we are serving a perfect God. But if you love something, you give your best for it. If you're passionate about something, you give your best for it. Right? If you love your car, you spend a lot of money on your car, don't you? If you like yourself, you spend a lot of money on clothes for yourself. Or you spend a lot of money on hair if you got hair, right? You take care of the things that you value. It's the same in our lives. If we value who God is, we believe that he is above all things. We believe that he is the purpose and the reason for our life. Then in everything we do, we give our best for him and to him because he is valued above all things. We give excellence to him because of our value of who God is. And so the next one there is embrace change. Embrace change. We've got to love change. Too often times, especially as Christians, we do not like change and we do not welcome change. But without change, you cannot have personal or spiritual growth. We have to embrace change, embrace the things that are put in front of us, trust God in those, and walk into the new places that nobody else has been before or the places that nobody else is willing to go for God's glory. If we step into those places, personal, congregational, whatever it would be, that's where we discover God, and that's where growth happens. And so we have to embrace change, and we do the unexpected. What are the things that people do not expect us to do? As a church, what is it they would not expect a church to do? Unfortunately, in this day and age, there's a very long list of things that they would not expect the church to do that we should be doing. So we do those things. And in moments that we have the opportunity to be generous for our community, to show up for our community, to do the things that are within our power, our ability, or the things that God's called us to that are not in our ability, we do them with generosity, we do them with excellence, so that others can see God is good and faithful and present, and that they can be glorified. We step into the things that God calls us to do, especially when people don't expect us to do it. We do the unexpected. It's good stuff, right? All right. Some of y'all haven't been here for all these, so I had to go through them real quick. And I know I only got 15 minutes, and I don't have enough time. 
So we're going to go until 7.30. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't tempt me. <laughs> All right, so the last two we're going to talk about tonight is this, is rest isn't a luxury. Rest isn't a luxury. The reason that we do services on Saturday nights is because we want to create a space for people to be able to invest in rest in their lives. It's not some crazy theological idea. It's not anything like that that we get called and chewed out for all the time for being heretics. It's not that. We get to have those conversations, and they're always fun. Pastor Fred's always like, you, you have those conversations way too long. Like, you should end those. It's like, no, they're too fun. I can't. <laughs> but we, we don't have service on Sunday because we want to allow people to have an option. We have nothing wrong with Sunday churches. We love Sunday churches. In fact, one of the reasons that we do have church on Saturday is so that we can partner with Sunday churches to help them to, together we be unified to advance the kingdom of God so that in shared resources and shared energy so that we can celebrate each other and, and encourage each other that these churches can come together to do more together than we would on our own, right? Does that make sense? But one of the personal reasons for us as a congregation that we have service on Saturday is because rest is not a luxury. And too many times in life we allow rest to be a luxury. We don't give it, a, we don't give it a, a space in our lives. And as a result, all sorts of chaos will ensue. We get disrupted in every area of our life and we wonder why. It's because we're too busy. It's because we're tired. It's because we're wore out. And so if it's for you on Sunday... If you have time, if you don't go to church and your work doesn't require anything of you, then Sunday can be a day where you can just rest and understand that rest has a purpose. That's your first line on your notes right there, that rest has a purpose. And its purpose is to deepen, deepen the meaningfulness of our lives. So rest, when we truly understand rest and we allow it to have a purpose in our life, it deepens the meaningfulness of our lives, especially in the area of our relationships. So the very first thing we're talking about tonight with rest is, is through the, that rest has a purpose and it deepens the meaningfulness of our lives through the strengthening of our relationship with Christ. Because what we do is when we take time to rest, when we take a day, I got a quote on there, I believe, in your notes from Timothy Keller. He's way smarter than me, so you can read that. But it, what we take time to rest, and we take time to surrender and just take a day and acknowledge God, what it does is it allows us to recognize who God is and reflect on his work in our lives that it, in a way that moves us into what God has for us next and what he is wanting to bring us to next. See, what happens a lot of times is, is that we go through life and we're so busy, and if you get a day to rest, and if you get a moment just to stop and not do anything, you just crash into that day, and you binge watch something on Netflix like crazy, eat a lot of food, and then the next time you get it to go, you have less energy to do what you're supposed to do. That's not rest. What rest is, rest is, especially as a follower of Christ, rest is to stop to reflect God is good. God is at work in my life. It's to spend time in scripture. It's to spend time in worship. It's to spend time playing. It's spend time just to do something beyond your normal routine of life, to be aware of God's activity, to become alive to yourself and alive to the activity of God so that you can go and do the life that's ahead of you. That's what a proper day of rest is. 
Rest has its purpose that it strengthens your relationship with Christ. It helps you to understand who he is and the fact that he has this life that he wants you to live. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Consequently, a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. For the one who enters God's rest has also rested from his works, just as God did from his own works. Right there at the beginning of the verse, it says the Sabbath rest remains. It's saying that there is a rest that remains. And too many times what happens in our head is, especially as Christians, one day I will get to heaven and all the pain will be gone, all the suffering will be gone, all the drudgery of life will be gone, all the monotony of life will be gone. Life sucks and one day I'll get to heaven and everything's going to be awesome. Like, that's our mentality sometimes. But here when it says remains, it's not just talking about the sense that one day we'll get to heaven. Yes, one day we'll get to heaven. One day we'll be in eternity. One day we'll be in God's presence where there's no tears, there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's only joy, there's only God's goodness, and there's going to be gold streets and who knows, whatever else. But I'm going to stop on that. So there's going to be all kinds of good stuff. It'll be God present with us. And in that place, life will be perfect as God intended it to be. But our way into rest is not death. Our way into rest is faith. When we step into a place that says God is present and God is at work in my life now and you can rest in this moment that God loves you, that God cherishes you, that God cares for you, that God's providing for you, that God's loving you, When you can rest and you can take all of life concerns and put them at the feet of Christ and you can just say, he's got me and we got this. That rest is for now. It's a rest of faith to know that God is present. It's the rest that he invites us into now. That's why in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you Rest. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. How many of you believe that God cares about you? Come on, right? All right, now let's be honest, all right? We're in church, but let's be honest. How many of you, there's days where you doubt that God cares about you? All right? I got my hand up. I'm not doing it. So I, I, there's days, right? I bet if you stop and you acknowledge and, and, and analyze you will see the days that you feel that are the days that you are most exhausted from life. You've been overextending yourself and you've been carrying more than you should carry. And in that place, you have lost your view of who God is and his purpose and his role in your life. Your faith has been deplenished because you're trying to do the work that he's supposed to be doing. So we step into a place where we create a space where we can rest and say, there's things that I can't do, but you can do those things. You've cared for those things. You will provide for those things. I'm resting in you because you want to care for me. And it charges us and excites us to live that life. In Psalm 127, verse 2, it says, it is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. I love in the ESV, if you're a person who loves sleep, this is for you. It says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go to late rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Come on, somebody said amen right there. I love the message translation. It says this, don't you know he enjoys giving rest to those he loves? 
And God wants you to walk into this life not beat down and shredded and just depleted and barely hanging on. God wants you to walk through this life with joy, with peace, with strength, with purpose, with understanding, with confidence, with hope. That's what God wants you to have. And it happens when we create space to rest in him, to acknowledge who he is, and allow our relationship in him to be strengthened and encouraged so that we can live our lives for him. There should be a dedicated time in which you enter into the rest of Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross. As Christians, because of Christ, it doesn't have to be a set day or a set amount of time, right? Your day of rest could be Tuesday. Your day of rest could be Tuesday from two to six, right? Your day of rest could be once a quarter. You take four days and you go away and you just rest. Whatever it looks like for you, you've just got to make it a priority. It does sound good, doesn't it? You've got to make it a priority to say, I'm going to invest in rest. Rest is not a luxury. I have to. I will break down, and in my breaking down, I will lose faith. I will get discouraged. I will be depleted, and I will become destructive if I do not rest and remember that Jesus has already done everything I'm trying to do. You've got to create space for rest in your life. It is not mandatory on you as a Christian that you have to Sabbath because that's what Bible says. No, Jesus has already fulfilled that. But it is mandatory on you as a human being to just stop and rest. Because it's important for you to remember and to recognize that God is the one in control. And God is the one caring and providing for you. Because if you persist in busyness, you will lose your ability to be aware of the things that God is doing. That line there is persistent busyness limits our awareness of God's presence in our daily lives. When you are constantly busy, you are not able to get to a place where you could be attentive to the fact that God is at work in your life. When you're busy and you're just running and running and running and running, you're walking by God moment after God moment after God moment after God moment. If you understand and accept that rest is not a luxury, then you invite yourself to walk in a pace where you're constantly aware, God is right there. God is working right there. Wow, God is speaking there. God is present in that moment because he wants you to see that he's constantly caring for you and providing for you. All right, I'm going to do these real fast. The next one is this. It's his purpose is to deepen the meaningful, meaningfulness of our lives through the strengthening of our relationships with others. Because when you're constantly busy, not only your relationship with God will be affected, but your busyness will erode your relationships with others. You see Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 6, he said, then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Jesus knew that if the disciples were going to live the life that he was calling them to live and that he had placed in them and given them the destiny and purpose to live, that it had to come through relationship with him. Our relationship with our spouses, our relationship with our kids, our relationship with the people that we go to church with and our family members, it's the most invaluable thing that we have in this life to see God's 
activity and to be alert to the things that he's doing. You've got to be alert to God by giving yourself to him and allowing there to be a moment where you rest in him. But you've got to invest in the relationships that God's given you as well. Because God's given you those relationships so that he can speak to you, challenge you, and encourage you, and shape you through other people. But when you're so busy, when I'm so busy, that we can't even acknowledge people, we're missing a key component to discovering the meaningfulness of our lives. Its purpose is to deepen the meaningful of our lives through strengthening our relationship with ourselves. Because if you're constantly busy, you're going to destroy your own body. Studies after studies show that high levels of stress increase your levels of cortisol. And when you have high levels of cortisol in your body, you're going to gain weight. You're going to have digestive issues. You're going to have all kinds of heart issues. And you're going to have problems with, you could have problems with diabetes. You, I mean, the list just goes on and on. You don't sleep well. You don't think well. You can't get to a place where you can connect the dots on things. And so you're forgetting things all the time. It's something that destroys yourself. It doesn't just erode your relationship with others or affect your relationship with God. It actually causes you to get sick and to not live a full life because you are constantly busy. We've got to allow rest to be a priority in our life. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7, this is so key. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You've got to create room for rest in your life. It isn't a luxury. It's something that is important for us to be able to get into so that we can walk in the peace and the goodness of who God is, to understand him fully, that our hearts can be exposed to his goodness and his activity in our lives so that we can live the lives that he's called us to live. Lastly, the last value that we have is this, is worship is what we do. Worship is what we do. As human beings, let's say even tonight as we're in that moment, I'm just telling you, there was just something there. I just felt in my heart. There's just moments where you've just got to push through, right? There's been something that we're trying to walk through with Braden as he gets older and as he matures. There's life lessons, you know, you got to learn. And so we, we believe you make a big deal of it as quick as you possibly can so that later in life you don't have big deal problems. And so we make a big deal out of things. And so we just hit it every single chance we get. And so today... He came and he's like, hey, dad, I just want you to know I'm sorry. And, you know, I see this. And I said, great. So I started teaching again. He goes, I didn't come here so that you could just teach me again. I came here so that I could say I'm sorry. It was great. But I want you to hear this. I want you to get this. Sometimes we've just got to push through. Sometimes we've just got to keep going on the track that we're going so that something can break free. And it's the same thing in our life when it comes to worship. Sometimes we get into a place where it's church, like, okay, yep. And you probably already know you do the math. We do four songs, and you're counting down. I think that was four. All right, Jamie's going to come up here. It's one of the things I hate. I wish we could just change it up all the time so you never knew what we were doing. I don't even want to know what I'm doing sometimes. <laughs> we need to get into a place, right, where we just say, I just, I understand that I'm created to. This is the first line that there is. We're called to live a life of worship. As Christians, we're called to live a life of worship. It's not just, let's sing some songs, and that's what worship is. 
No, your life is worship. And we should live in a way that we push through, that we push and push and push, and that we see in everything that we do, God, I want this to be for your glory. God, I want this so that you will be known. God, I want this so that this truth, I want you to to allow this truth to be known in my own heart. God, I'm doing this for you so that I know more of you because you're all that I want. I'm tired of wanting this stuff. God, I want you. So I'm going to do this instead of this, right? Does that make sense? And I'm doing it as worship because worship is what we do because as human beings, we are created to live lives of worship. That's what we're here for is to worship and declare God's goodness and declare his glory in our lives. We are supposed to be worshipers. You go through and you read Psalm 96, I'm not going to. Yes, I am. Psalm 96, verse 1, it says, sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds. Do you not understand that? Like in each thing that we do, that we can declare, this is who God is. God has saved me. I'm telling you, there's moments where I'm sitting there and I'm doing stuff at work. And all of a sudden, it comes into my head how I would have processed that situation 12 years ago. And I see how I've grown as a person. I'm telling you what, I worship in those moments. Because I'm like, look at who God is. He Look at he saved me from. And look at who he's made me to be. God is a good God. We should be aware of all the things that he's doing, proclaiming the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty fill his sanctuary. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. And I love here in verse 8, it shows us that it's going through, and this is talking about all the way through these verses. This is what God deserves. This is the worship he deserves because of who he is. And then in verse 8, it transitions. It shows that worship is our responsibility. So God's responsibility is just to be awesome, to be king of everything. Our responsibility is to point to him and declare his goodness and declare his power in all things. Verse nine, verse 8 says, give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. Listen, worship is not a duty where you come in and say, okay, well, I gave this and I did this and here's a little bit of time. No, worship is your life. That's what Paul encourages, to live, be a living sacrifice, to give of yourselves completely, that your heart, your mind, your soul, every action, every detail, every moment is for God's glory. It's worship to him. It's our responsibility because he deserves it. He is worthy of it. In verse 9, worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. Tell all the nations the Lord reigns. The Lord stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge all peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. All the rest of those the same. As you live a life of worship, the world becomes exposed to who God is. Your world The people around you, the things around you, they look different, feel different, and act different, and respond different as you live a life of worship. Because worship is what we do. You were created to live a life of worship. And worship must be priority number one. Worship must be priority number one. That's your next note right there. Worship must be priority number one. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, one of the craziest scenes in the Bible, Jesus is sitting there having a conversation with Satan. 
on the top of a building. And Satan's saying, hey, I'm going to give you all of this. And Jesus already has it all. He already has it all. And as they're having this conversation, he looks and he says in verse 10, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Worship is priority number one. Worship is priority number one because everything else we do is a means to this end. Everything we do in this life, every detail of your life, your job, your relationships, they are meant to be lived as worship of God. That in everything you do, I stepped out in faith in this moment, and guess what? God showed up. I stepped into this relationship, and it was a relationship that God gave me. And God, look at God's done through this relationship. Look at this job that God gave me. Look at this kid that God's given me. Look at this and this and this and this. And you go through everything you do. It's an act of worship. It's a declaration of God's faithfulness and goodness. In the moments of hard times, it's okay. I'm without right now, but I'm not without the things that matter. I am secure for all of eternity. I will be cared for. I will be provided for. I will be in a place where we just read tonight in the scriptures that God's best will be before us. That God will honor us and God will do it because we're living a life of worship to him. When all other, goes, all other goals serve one goal, that goal is number one. Your goal is not to be the best Christian. Your goal is not to be the biggest giver. Your goal is not to. Your goal is to be the biggest worshiper that you possibly can be. And you worship him through all that you do. And as we do that, worship puts everything else in its proper place. You can go read Psalm 34 in your own time. But as we give ourselves to worship and we live our life of worship, just as I was talking about a few minutes ago, our view of God becomes so big that all of our stuff in this world begins to become smaller and smaller. Worship puts everything else in its proper place. This one next is worship is an outpouring of what you have received. Worship is an outpouring of what you've received. I pushed this a little bit tonight into a moment that we don't have and maybe some of us have never experienced or gone into. The reason I pushed this into that moment is to realize and to see that our moments, our times of worship, especially corporately, they're moments of response. It's a moment of declaration. It's a moment of saying, I was in a place this week where God showed up and I know his faithfulness. Why we talk about raising our hands and lifting our voice? Well, one, Scripture tells us to, and so we do it. But also, too, as you lift your hands and as you sing, as you unashamedly worship God, I'm telling you, people are not looking at you and judging you for it. People are encouraged in your worship of God. And if somebody is looking at you and judging you for it, guess what? Keep worshiping God anyways. Because deep down... One day, God has planted a seed there, and they will long for what you have. But step into those moments and just know, listen, God has given you more than you deserve. He's given you more than you can handle. He's given you more than you could ever want for yourself in Jesus Christ. And when you see that and you understand that and you know what you've received, worship just becomes an outpouring of what you do. It doesn't have to be always singing. It doesn't have to always be this, but it's a smile on your face. It's a connecting with the person when they are in a moment of need that you don't know, and they say, hey, I need this. Instead of pushing them off, you take them into that moment, and you walk with them, and you give them what they need, and you go above and beyond that. Because it's not about you. It's about worshiping God. It's about taking a moment to point to him and to recognize that God's active in my life, and what you need right now is not $5. What you need right now, not as another 40 What you need right now is Jesus. 
right? And if it takes me buying you a 40 to get it, so be it. If you're not all right with that, sorry. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill our lives. Come on, that's what this moment was about tonight. The, the richness of who God is. I wanted, to, I wanted each and every, wherever you are, wherever you are in life, wherever your discomfort is, your displeasure is, whatever your joy is, whatever your suffering is, whatever it is, I wanted you to get to a place where you sense and really feel God is just present, that it fills your lives, that it just fills you up, that you just become aware of who he is to the point that you have to raise your hand or clap or scream or shout or dance or do something because when you get filled with who he is and the richness of your lives, it just changes you. It changes you. It tells us here, it says that when we get to that place, that we are able to teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives, that we're able to step into moments where we can point out God in each other's lives and help each other grow to miss and avoid hum, you know, stumbling blocks and different things that could trip us up, that we are actually able to encourage each other. And it says, sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as representative of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. Worship is what we do. Right, I'm going to blow through these real fast. I'm not going to even teach on them. You can ask me about them later, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're done. Worship shapes our attitude. Worship shapes our attitude. Sometimes you got a foul attitude. Sometimes you're just mad about stuff. Worship. Worship. If you don't got music around you, just start worshiping. If you don't know the words to say, open up Psalms and start reading Psalms because that's the gift that God gives us in Psalms is to have prayers and songs that sometimes we don't even know what to say. And we start reading and all of a sudden those words become our words and all of a sudden God's presence just rushes in. Worship shapes our attitude. Worship determines our willingness. I lied to you and said I wasn't going to teach on them and I just did. Worship determines our willingness. Worship defines our conversations. Worship defines our conversations. If the conversations that you and I have together, the conversations we have with the coworkers and all that stuff, we understand those are opportunities for me to point to Jesus. Man, it defines the way that I speak to people. It defines the way that I care for people and love for people. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, the message is, it says, words kill, words give life. They've either, they're either poison or fruit. You choose. If you are aware of who God is and what you've received in Christ, you have the chance every time to bring life into that conversation. Worship affects our giving. Worship affects our giving. You can go ahead and read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 on your own to see that. Worship is what we do. Worship is what we do. Rest helps us to become aware of who God is and the life that he wants us to live. So one of the things we've been talking about is, is our what as a church, is our what is that we want to help you live a meaningful and purposeful life. We want each and, every purpose, each and every person to know that your life has meaning and purpose, that God has a divine destiny for each and every person. These values that we have are ones that help shape us as a church, but they're ones that help shape you. And tonight, these two that we had here at the end, it's about our lives being expelled. It's about our lives being given out for his glory because we realize all that we've been given. That when life just seems like it's punching us in the face, that we've got a corner to go to where we can be encouraged and strengthened and walk out there like Rocky, maybe ugly and beat up, but we're going to win. Right?
That was a horrible example. <laughs> Father, I just pray. I just pray, Lord, that you just help us to live a life of worship for your glory. Father, I just pray that somehow tonight, during that time of worship, that something had just been sparked in us, or maybe just later on tonight, or maybe tomorrow as we're just sitting there and we open up our scripture and we just decide to rest in you. Maybe we take advantage of the weather and we're out and we're just enjoying the beautiful weather and hanging out, taking a walk or riding our bikes. Or and in those moments, we just become aware of your presence and become overwhelmed by your goodness. Father, I pray that we don't just get lost in the monotony of life. God, help us to be a church that understands and knows that you have a purpose for each and every one of us. And our purpose is to bring glory to your name, is to point to you, to live a life of worship in all that we do. And as we live our lives of worship at work, at school, at home, as we point to you, God, that you just give more and more reasons to worship. You just stack them on top of each other. God, that's a life that I want. I want to be so aware of who you are and how good you are. God, I can't help but live a life of worship. That's what I want for this, each and every one of us in this church. God, help us to live for your glory. Help us to be aware that you are present, that you are working, that you are calling, that you are active. And when people look at us and they say, what is this life all about? What is this, this thing that you do? What is it all about? Say, it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. Everything that I do, it's for him. It's because of him. And he's so good. God, let that be the song, the declaration of our lives. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Love you guys. See you back next week. Have a great week.